I'm starting a new series today called Let's Talk About It. Let's Talk About It. This series was inspired because recently I read a statement made by a well-known worship writer. He was a songwriter that went to a large church that writes a lot of really famous worship songs. And he made this statement about how he was walking away from his faith. And I'm going to read it to you. He said this, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place, he means hell, all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not just the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. All I know is what's true to me right now. Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. So he's not the first person to ever voice concerns and doubts like this. Out of the billions of people who live on the planet today and recognize God, uh, he's just one person. But when I read this statement, I was grieved by this, and I felt like the Lord led me to adjust my preaching schedule because I want to talk about it. And the truth is that people have been asking difficult questions in Christianity for thousands of years, and people, the best and brightest minds, have been talking about these things for thousands of years. It's okay to question your beliefs. It's normal to wrestle with doubt, but I want to challenge all doubters. It's still your responsibility to seek the truth. You can doubt, but you need to seek the truth. In fact, I want you to hear this. To question beliefs without seeking the truth is closed-minded, hard-hearted, and lazy. As Christians, we stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And so we don't have to hide from any questions or doubts. We can talk about these things head on. So this week, I want to key in on this statement that preachers fall and Christians can be some of the most judgmental, maybe hurtful, mean people. And the title of this message is When Leaders Fall and People Hurt. When leaders fall and people hurt. I remember one Sunday several years ago in between services, I met a couple in the lobby and they had just come out of church and they had tears in their eyes and they were crying and they said, oh, it was amazing today. I felt the presence of God. And I asked them like, what's your story? Where did you come from? And they told me that in the past they had been hurt by the church and they were deeply wounded. And so they hadn't been in church for a while. And this was their first time coming back and they felt great. And they were looking forward to healing at Generation Church. And I've heard dozens and even hundreds of people say the same kind of thing. The truth is that people do get hurt in churches. And I would say that two of the most common causes are either leaders who fall into scandal or abuse people, or two, church people who are unloving, maybe judgmental. So the question is, how am I supposed to believe the message of Christianity when its own leaders don't practice what they preach, when they don't live the life they promote? Or why should people want to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ when the people in those churches can be unloving and hurtful? That's a good question. Let's talk about it. So 
So here's what I want you to take away first from this. First, leaders are a gift to the church. You probably have had a pastor or some spiritual leader in your life up to this point who made a big positive impact in your life. And Jesus actually gave you those leaders as a gift. We think of the gifts of the Spirit. We think of God's blessings financially as gifts. But right there under the proverbial Christmas tree with your name on it is a present from Jesus to you. And it's your pastors, your spiritual leaders. So Ephesians 4.11 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Let me explain these categories of people that were described. Apostles, those are one of the leaders of the church. Apostles basically build and develop the church. They tend to lead leaders and build the church regionally. They're entrepreneurial typically. Prophets proclaim the truth from God to his people. Evangelists bring the good news of Jesus Christ to lost people. Pastors shepherd people by taking care of their needs. Teachers instruct people to understand and apply God's word to their lives. Now, in the modern church today, we tend to call all of these people pastors. That's just what we tend to do. We call every one of them pastor usually, even though most of these guys are usually good at three, maybe of the five, maybe four of the five. Uh, usually they're kind of weak in one area. And one reason that we sometimes get disappointed and hurt by our spiritual leaders is because we're expecting something from them that they're not personally gifted at. So you might come to a point in your life when you just need a shoulder to cry on and someone to sit there and hug you and tell you it's going to be okay. What you need is what Ephesians 4 describes as a pastor. But you might be talking at that moment to someone who is a prophet. And prophets just tend to speak the truth from God. Like, hey, you need to get your act together and stop being crazy. End of conversation. It's over in three minutes. Like, like, that's not what I needed. I needed a, a shoulder to cry on. Well, it, it can be because of the gap between expectations and reality. That can result in hurt. Really so these leaders, they all function to build the church and build up the people of the church to do the ministry of the church. And I've heard Christians say, I don't need a pastor to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is true. You don't need a pastor to have a relationship with with Christ, but the Bible in common sense says you do need a pastor to have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Just common sense, right? Find me a winning football team who has no coach. Find me a, a child that's thriving with no parents. It doesn't happen. Find me a student who's successful with no teacher. It never happens. You know what else you won't find? A healthy Christian without a pastor. Because God designed the world we live in that we need authority as a blessing to us to protect us and guide us. 
But you might have been hurt by a leader, a pastor at some point, and maybe that's made you skeptical of leaders, even skeptical of Christianity. We're going to talk about it. I remember when I was about 16, I got in a car accident, driving my poor dad's paid-off car. And I, I wrecked the thing. It was total. And that was my second accident. The insurance company came back and said, if you want to let this kid keep driving, your premium is going up to a billion dollars. <laughs> my parents told me, guess what, son? You're not driving anymore. So I didn't drive for about a year and a half, two years. But when I graduated high school, my sweet, loving, generous grandpa came and he gave me the gift of a vehicle. It was amazing. It was a 1994 Chevy Astro minivan. Rolling in style. And he put new tires on and he fixed it up so it would work well. Now, I'll be honest with you. After getting in that really bad accident, I had a lot of anxiety about driving. I'd have bad dreams about getting into accidents. What if I had let those past bad experiences stop me from enjoying the gift that my grandfather was trying to give me? Like, I could live without a vehicle, but I wouldn't get anywhere fast, would I? And a lot of Christians do the same thing where they get hurt by a leader and then they spend the rest of their lives avoiding leadership and missing out on the blessing, the gift of spiritual leaders that God has given us. So don't let a bad experience or two, no matter how difficult, stop you from enjoying a lifetime of benefits by having a pastor, a leader in your life to guide you. So here's what the next thing we need to talk about is leaders have a higher standard. So if you read in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1, you'll see some of the qualifications for elders listed out. And that would be a way of saying for pastors, for spiritual leaders. And here they are. He has to want the job. Okay, that's one of the qualifications. He wants the job. He's above reproach. He can't be shady. It says he's the husband of one wife. That means he's a one-woman man. He's not a philanderer. He's sober-minded, not a drunkard, because it's hard to exercise wisdom when you're drunk, right? He's self-controlled, not flying off the handle all the time. He's respectable, hospitable. That means he loves strangers and is kind to newcomers. He's able to teach. So skill in teaching is a requirement, and he has to know biblical doctrine and be able to explain it, has to be able to spot theological errors. Um, and then here's the next one. He's not violent, so he should be gentle. And that means not mean-spirited or harsh, not looking to pick fights with people, knows when to be tough and when to be tender, not quarrelsome but a peacemaker, not a lover of money but puts the kingdom of first and is a generous giver, a good manager of his own household, Okay, so that means that he respects and loves his spouse, disciplines his children. Not that they're perfect, but that these relationships are admirable. That he's not a recent convert. That's a requirement. You shouldn't get saved and then three months later be leading other people in their faith. You might just need a little bit more time to cook in the crock pot. You know, you just need a little longer. Otherwise, the Bible says you'll get puffed up with pride. And then should be well thought of by outsiders. So meeting the societal standards of respectability and decency. So pastors should live lives that can serve as an example. They do have a higher standard, but, and this is a big but, no pastor upholds all these standards perfectly. We recognize that, right? 
We've all heard stories in the news of pastors who have fallen. And there have been pastors who I looked up to and I admired and I read their books and I listened to their sermons and I I listened to them teach and do leadership discussions on podcasts. And then for some reason or another, they fell. You know, one guy I, I looked up to, he fell because he got addicted to substances. Another guy I know of, he had multiple affairs in secret over a multi-year period. Another guy embezzled money and manipulated people to take advantage of them. We hear these stories, and so that's why when a guy who's a doubter says no one talks about it, I'm thinking, what planet have you been living on? Because we've all heard these stories in the news again and again. It's in the news all the time, and so it's not that no one talks about it, but we need to talk about how to process it. It's not that leaders today fall more often than leaders used to. It's that we hear about it more than we used to. Think about that. The world loves a scandal, especially one that involves Christians, because people who are hard-hearted towards God want any excuse they can find to continue rebelling against God. So they love to throw up a smoke screen and say, oh, see, your own leaders don't even practice what they preach. That's why I'm going to continue on rebelling against God. It's like, what do those leaders have anything to do with your soul? So, yeah, they might have fallen, and we acknowledge that. But that's not the big picture that really matters. We want to keep a biblical perspective. We want a big picture perspective because that allows allows us to exercise wisdom. And so here's a big picture perspective. In just America... There are over 300,000 Protestant churches with 300,000 pastors, all of whom is a sinner that relies on the grace of God for salvation. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, even Pastors, That's in our own Bible in Romans 3.23. We aren't trying to cover up any scandal. We acknowledge right off the bat in Christianity that we are all sinners. The thing is, we Christians, we sometimes can be inconsistent in how we judge these pastors. Because they, they, they tend to, to fall in ways that we see, but also they, they sin in ways that we don't see. And you think about how inconsistent we can be and how we evaluate people. It's kind of, it, it kind of makes you pause. It's interesting. For example, like a guy could be a terrible husband and a father, but nobody cares as long as he doesn't cheat on his wife. Or, or a guy could be 100 pounds overweight and addicted to food, but nobody cares as long as he's not addicted to alcohol. Or a guy could be a terrible manager of his own finances, but nobody cares as long as he doesn't mismanage the church finances. The point is, it's true that if we wanted to, we could stone every single pastor to death for some sin, for something. But when people talk about preachers falling, it's usually one of two things. It's usually something involving impropriety with money or sexual sin. And I think another equally big scandal is when pastors commit suicide. 
That's happened recently and been in the news more and more. These guys have committed suicide. And that's a scandal, in my opinion, because when you are a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ and you're telling people that there is always hope in Jesus no matter what, and then you turn around and take your own life, it contradicts the message of the gospel and it hurts the cause of Christ. And I know that's a long conversation, that mental illness is a real thing, and that's another conversation for another day, but that is something that hurts the message of the gospel. And so when a pastor falls, it is disappointing, it is sad, it's even okay for us to all be angry about the lost potential and the broken trust. Those are all feelings that are normal, they're okay. But what's not okay is to question everything you've ever believed, to refuse to trust other leaders, or to quit attending, quit attending church altogether. That's not okay, because that would contradict, that, that behavior would contradict what the Bible clearly tells us to do. Those responses are based on an unhealthy perspective. The gospel has never been about a perfect pastor who leads us into salvation. That, that's not what it is. Pastors are all imperfect shepherds who lead us into a greater relationship with the great shepherd. Okay, here's where I'm going with this. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Our Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. See, the good news is that our salvation comes through the righteousness of the great shepherd. Our senior pastor, Jesus, he is perfect. Our hope was never in a man, especially not one named Ryan, but in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't stand on the solid rock of Ryan. I stand on the solid rock of Christ. And the truth is that sometimes our pastors, our, our, our earthly pastors, they blow it and they sin, in, sometimes in big ways. Uh, sometimes people in the church, they blow it and they sin and it hurts us. And some of you have been hurt legitimately in a church setting. And I want to say, I am sorry that that happened. I'm sorry you've been hurt. So let me talk about this. What should we do or what needs to happen when a preacher falls, when a pastor sins. And I wanna say the best way to understand is to reframe the issue more broadly. What should we do when people sin? Because pastors are people. Here's the first thing. When pastors sin, they need to repent of their sins and receive forgiveness, just like anyone else, okay? They need to repent of sin, receive forgiveness, and we all sin. And so in some way, I'm repenting of sin probably every week in some fashion or another. Like, oh, Lord, sorry, I just got jealous of that guy. Or like, oh, Lord, sorry, I got irritated with that person that cut me off in traffic. You know, like, we all have to repent of sin every week on an ongoing basis, sometimes more often. Because sin always separates us from God. And the goal that the Lord has for us is that all sinners will be restored to him in a life-giving relationship through Jesus Christ. And that's only possible when we repent of sin. Repentance isn't just saying, sorry. <laughs> Repenting literally means to turn from sin. Yes. God doesn't want you just going through life like, ah, sorry, mm, sorry, mm, sorry. He wants you to actually stop and decide to change your behavior. That's repentance. So when a pastor sins, when, when people hurt us, two, their sins may have short and long-term consequences. Just because we repent doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Any guy in the church today, if you cheat on your wife, 
and repent, God will forgive you, but your wife might still leave you. You can be forgiven and still suffer consequences. When a pastor sins, the consequences are usually based on the circumstances. First, did he repent? And even if he did, still, he might have to resign and step down from his position. Why? Because there are some sins, big, big sins, I would say, that are like having an affair, for example. Those things don't just happen overnight by accident. You don't just trip and fall and have an affair. Oops! And so the reason a guy might have to resign and step down is because he didn't get to that point overnight. You have to be unhealthy for a pretty long amount of time to get to that point. And so even if a guy has repented and he's truly sorry, it's not good for him to continue leading people until he takes a time out and goes through counseling and a restoration process before he is possibly ready to lead again in the future. And I've heard Christians get really confused and upset. Why does that pastor have to resign? I love him. Why can't we just forgive him? Because sin has consequences. Three, we need to keep a big picture perspective. For every one scandal, there are a thousand pastors who sincerely love their people, love their families, and they're doing their best to live a godly life. And remember that when anyone in the church hurts you, for every crazy person who hurts you, there are a thousand people who love you. Remember this. This is the big picture and the most important big picture perspective you can have. Pastors aren't the heroes of our faith. Jesus is the hero of our faith. And then fourth, when pastors sin, God's people should give mercy just like we should to anyone who sins. We should give mercy. So when you hear about a leader who falls, do you pick up stones to stone them or do you pray for them? I'm sure that in the history of the church, there have been evildoers and sociopaths who have infiltrated the ranks of leadership. But I can tell you that most of the pastors who've fallen, they weren't bad men, but men who made a series of bad decisions. Little compromises that led to bigger compromises. And that's why all of us have to be on guard against any sin, even what looks like little sin. Because in James 1.15, it says, sin, when it is allowed to grow, gives birth to death. So we've got to kill it while it's still small before it kills us. You don't just have an affair. Starts with a little fantasy in your mind. Starts with a little text message that might just be a tiny bit flirty. We should be merciful because when anybody falls, sometimes it comes out of pride, but more often it comes out of pain. We should be merciful and compassionate to those who fall because, man, we don't know what they went through. That's why God didn't make us the judge of each other because we can't know what's in each other's hearts. You think about a pastor falling and I would say it reminds me of what Pastor Rick Warren said, that hurt people hurt people. It's really true. It's simple but profound. And I think that things have gotten a lot better in a lot of churches today than they were maybe several decades ago. But in history, 
pastors have been oftentimes overburdened and underappreciated. I knew I grew up in the household of a pastor, and I can tell you that today things are a lot better than they were when I was young, but you grow up in the church world with a lot of people who say things like, I want you to pray for me and share my burden, even though I don't pray for you or share your burdens. I expect you to know what's going on in my life, even if I don't tell you what's going on in my life. I want you to drop everything for me in my time of need, even if it hurts your family, but then I'll judge you if your kids aren't angels. I want you to entertain me and preach a great sermon every week, whether I show up to hear it or not. I want you to put my well-being before your own. Please be perfect like Jesus, but don't expect me to treat you like Jesus. You better have a great marriage because I'll crucify you if it fails. And please listen to my critical feedback, even though I never voice appreciation. Someone's like, is he okay? I thought he just went on vacation. Like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not venting right now. I'm just trying to help you understand. There's a reason that sometimes these guys quit and self-destruct and sadly even kill themselves. It's not an excuse, but it is a cause. And many of the pastors who have fallen into sin, they started down that road in response to emotional pain and stress. For example, one of the pastors I looked up to that developed a substance abuse issue told me that actually his wife had been very unloving towards him for years and he had been trying to save his marriage and she hadn't slept with him in four years. And so he turned to alcohol to numb his pain. And that gives you a little bit more of a sense of compassion for somebody. If my wife stopped sleeping with me for four days, I'd start drinking. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Lighten up. <laughs> so we should show mercy. And that still doesn't justify their actions, but it's why we should react with compassion. And I'll tell you that I'm sympathetic towards guys who've fallen because I understand their challenges. I've been hurt, I've been betrayed, I've been accused. What does that make me though? Normal. Normal. In John 15, Jesus told us, if people hate you, remember that they hated me first. So I know I'm not a victim. If I suffer for the cause of Christ, I just have the privilege of getting to be like Jesus. I praise God that I do have the privilege to serve in a church with such loving people. So thank you for being an awesome church. So how should we relate to pastors? How should we think about them? First, understand their imperfections and honor their position. Some Christians make the mistake of worshiping pastors. Maybe you wouldn't say it like that. Maybe you don't even realize it, but I've been on the receiving end of it, and it makes me very concerned. You can just tell when a person looks at you and puts you up maybe too high on a pedestal and just treats you like you're the son of God incarnate. And it's like, man, if you see me that way, you're going to be disappointed pretty soon. So we shouldn't worship these guys. And then other people make the mistake of treating their pastors like garbage. When it comes to pastors, we tend to overestimate their holiness and underestimate their helpfulness. Because they're just humans. So don't expect perfection, but they are here to help you and equip you and protect you. So we should also honor them. In Hebrews uh, 13, verse 10, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. 
Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So we see that these pastors will be accountable to God for how they've treated God's people. They will be judged by God. They're watching over your soul. And the Bible says this. This is a kind of a a thing that I think we overlook, that it's not to your benefit to burden your pastors. That's interesting. That's something to think about. It says to do what they say. To do what they say. Now, obviously, not if they tell you to do something that contradicts God's word. See, there have been a lot of people who have been taken advantage of by TV televangelists who are manipulating people to give money. And then we all kind of sit around and say, oh, that's terrible. That guy's the worst. But we have to know the word of God enough that we will recognize teaching that contradicts the word of God. There's a personal responsibility that we all share to recognize teaching that isn't biblical. So if a guy tells me if I give $1,000, I'm going to get a Mercedes, I should go like, where is that in the Bible exactly? Because I missed that part. But we should do what they say, because oftentimes what they're trying to do is teach us and correct us. And so you publicly in this church get to see me teach and preach quite often, but you don't usually get to see me correct people, because that happens in private, because we all want to be corrected in private, don't we? And I'll tell you that I don't go around looking for people to correct. I've learned that the Holy Spirit is a much better corrector than me. And so I pray and I take it very seriously, the idea of actually correcting someone and calling them out on their behavior. Because if if a pastor was looking to correct people all the time, you'd just constantly be going around like, you shouldn't have done that and you shouldn't have done that. But everyone's on a journey. And as long as you see them making progress, you know that the Lord is working on their heart. But sometimes I have seen things that are so egregious or blatant that I have to correct a person. And that happens in private. And When that happens, I will just tell you that based on past experiences, about 75% of the people that I've had to correct just straight up ignore me. And honestly, the more mature a person thinks they are in Christ and the longer they've been a Christian, the more likely they are to ignore me. It's just true. There's even been people like, oh, you're the best pastor and I love your preaching and this church is amazing. And then if you have to correct them, they're like, you're an idiot. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find another church where the pastor doesn't correct me, right? And that's just the way it goes. So that's why we should honor their position because God puts leaders in our lives to protect us and to guide us. And sometimes protection comes with correction. Here's the second thing. We should relate to pastors by praying for them. You need to pray for them. They need your help. I need your prayers. All of our pastors and leaders do. 1 Timothy 2.2. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. We should pray for all leaders and people who are in authority. That means that even if you vote Democrat, you should pray for Republican presidents. Even if you vote Republican, you should pray for Democratic presidents. This means that you should pray for all governing leaders and authority figures in society, police officers. It means you should pray for pastors. It's difficult, and honestly, we all have to fight against a rebellious, sinful nature that we have. 
But the Bible tells us to pray for pastors. Probably all of us have made critical remarks about spiritual leaders. I know I have. I know I have. It's something that's easy to fall into. The truth of the matter is that the devil doesn't have to tear down a lot of these pastors because a lot of God's people are willing to do it for him. So the truth is this, you have no right to criticize a pastor that you haven't already been praying for. And I'll tell you that as you pray for him, you'll be less and less likely to criticize him because when we pray for people, it causes us to love them and love changes your posture. But I do think that the enemy, the devil, targets leaders in a unique way because he knows that's a high-value target. And if I take that person down, it's going to hurt a lot of people in one fell swoop. And so supernatural attack requires supernatural defense. Your prayers are necessary. Third, trust them. Yes, there have been shady televangelists who've manipulated. There have been guys who've had affairs. There have been people who taught false doctrine. But like I said, for each one of them, there are a thousand guys who are trustworthy. So the way that we can tell if we can trust a person, if we should trust them, is first, is the teaching that comes from that leader consistent with Scripture? That's very important. And then second, we should look for fruit. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. We can't judge what's in a person's heart, but we can evaluate the fruit in that person's life. So I'll say this. Healthy things tend to grow. A healthy leader tends to have a healthy church. Healthy pastor tends to have a healthy family. Not a perfect family, but a generally healthy family. I'll close by saying this. A lot of people do say the church hurt me. The church hurt me, and I want to correct that thinking. The church didn't hurt you. Imperfect people in the church hurt you. It's an important distinction. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the bride of Christ, and the Bible says the bride of Christ is blameless, spotless, and made perfect. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So God has made his church perfect, but then we know that there are still imperfect people in these churches. Right? We know that, that these churches are filled with imperfect people. Flawed people are still a part of God's holy church. And that's a good thing, right? Because none of us would be here if imperfect people weren't allowed to be a part of Jesus' church. Unfortunately, some of these flawed people are going to occasionally do the things that flawed people do, and you might get hurt. You might be offended. And let me remind you that as a flawed person, you too will eventually do something that hurts someone or offends someone. How can we walk around like, oh, that person hurt me. They offended me. I'm so mad. When at the same time, we've hurt someone. We've all disappointed someone. A lot of times, even without knowing it. Like, I didn't even know I hurt your feelings, but I just looked at you funny and I didn't realize it. I just have a look on my face. It's just my face. I've literally had people ask me, like, Pastor Ryan, what's wrong? Are you mad at me? 
I'm like, what? Yeah, you just made this really mean face at me. I'm like, that's just my face, bro. No, I'm not mad at you. In previous, we've talked about the verse that says, you reap what you sow. And that applies to a lot of things. Like, for example, when you sow mercy, you're going to reap mercy. So if you walk around with a posture to show other people mercy, that means that when you mess up, other people are going to be merciful to you. Doesn't that sound like something you would want? In James 2.13, it says, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. That verse gives me chills. We're all going to stand before God, and we want to be on the receiving end of mercy. And we know that we're saved by grace, and grace covers over all of our sins. But there is some element that as Christians we are going to be judged by Jesus and that will determine our eternal reward or lack thereof. And for some people, when they stand before Jesus, they might be saved and escape the fires of hell, but Jesus is going to have some things to say to them about the way they treated other believers. When I stand before him, I know I'm going to have a lot of flaws and a lot of mistakes in my past. But I'm hoping that by God's grace, I'll treat people with mercy in a way that when I see Jesus, he'll treat me the same way. So regardless of whether your pain came from a church leader or a church goer, God tells you how to respond, and that's with forgiveness. I loved our talk last week on forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over the years as a pastor, I've seen so many people leave the church because of offense or because someone hurt them, right? They say, someone hurt me. I didn't get to do the thing I wanted to do. I didn't get invited to the birthday party. I didn't like the joke that that pastor made. It offended me, and so I'm leaving. And these people who get offended all the time, they they set out and they're looking for a new place to land where they can be with their favorite people, I and me. And, And what they find is that there is no perfect church. There's no perfect church. And if you found it, just by being there, you'd ruin it. Right? And so these people who get offended all the time, right, they're they're really in this cycle of self-destruction. Because what I want you to understand is that the key to overcoming hurt is you. You are the one who gets to decide that you will remain Wounded. See, like you can't stop hurt from coming, but you can keep it from staying. Right? You can't stop bad things from happening to you, but you can keep them from killing you. And the way that you preserve your health is by forgiving the people who hurt you and offend you. People are going to offend you, but love them anyway. People are going to disappoint you, but forgive them. And we sometimes, we complain about unloving people in the church hurting us. But let me ask you this question. What if really we are the unloving people who aren't forgiving 
others when they hurt us. Because isn't forgiveness probably the greatest act of love? So we fully acknowledge that sometimes leaders fall, but we also recognize them as gifts. We understand they're not perfect, but we never expected them to be perfect in the first place. That's why we're not afraid to talk about it. We don't have to cover up anything. In fact, there's only one type of cover-up that's okay with God. It's when Jesus covers up your sin and shame by his blood. The Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's just a way to think about how when Jesus' blood was shed on the cross, his blood poured out as a physical representation of his love for us. He died as the sacrifice for our sin. Think about that. Our sin was so bad that the Son of God had to be tortured and killed for it. His blood was shed, and the Bible paints this metaphorical picture through the example of Old Testament sacrifice that the blood of Jesus is what washes our sin away. It covers our sin so that God no longer sees it. He covers our shame by his love. And the way we respond to other Christians when they sin is to imitate and respond like Jesus who covers up our sin. When we love one another... Love covers over a multitude of sins. So I say, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe she she made a mistake, but man, I really love her. And I'm focused on the good in her. Yeah, you know, he kind of blew it. It's true. And and we want to deal with that. But man, isn't he great? And love covers over a multitude of sins. And isn't it incredible that God does that for us? So may we be known as a people who treat others with mercy as God has treated us with mercy. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes today. And I want to give everyone an opportunity who's here. Maybe you're aware that there has been sin in your life and you've wrestled with shame that comes from that. And you hear me talking about how love covers over sin and how forgiveness is available through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. The Bible says he died there for us because of our sins to take our guilt and shame upon himself. He actually died and was buried in a tomb and three days later rose again. The Bible says if you believe that, then you will be saved. You will be saved and forgiveness will be made available to you. And maybe there's someone who's in Mesa today or in Ahwatukee today or listening to this message online this week who says, I need to be saved. Well, if you're ready for that, that's an important step of faith that will change your eternal destination. And so I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just go ahead and pray it right where you're sitting. Just say, God, I need you. I recognize that I have sinned and I repent of my sin. I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. I believe he died on the cross in my place, and I believe that he rose again. I accept the gift of forgiveness, and I receive eternal life. I want to follow after Jesus for the rest of my days and honor you with everything that I am. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.